0: Okay. boy Brad I wish you were at that Michael debaris one last week
1: dude I did too I mean
0: that was insane right yeah that I, was just so crazy that was
1: one of those podcasts where I'm like Michael Debar, I of this guy like he's the husband of
0: Pamela Debar. I'm like
1: and then like as it slowly approached I was like oh yeah and he did this and then after the podcast when when jonah completely fills me in on all this stuff I like totally peripherally knew that. Dude, shit. I was emailing you guys and
2: I was like, You guys must know who this guy is. I have no idea. And Steve was like, Yes, yes, yes. I, I
1: didn't realize how much how much I <laughs> I didn't realize how much I knew who he was.
2: Yeah. Until Scum after the, the earth, podcast man. was over. I still and don't know I, was, I still don't really know dude, who he was. That
1: Steve that band he was in with Steve Jones <laughs> yeah. It's like have you ever heard it? Uh uh-uh. it's I remember hearing it for the first time and it it's the, it's the worst it's literally I, I it is we built this city of rock and roll <laughs> that album is like produced like worse than any the- fucking schlocky 70s prog rock like oh my god it was like this joke out band
0: and that that's the funny part about him is he's pretty terrible yeah <laughs> and, but- and it's like he's it, it's he's always like you know it's rock and roll he, he's austin powers
1: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. man, He was
1: so positive. He, he emailed man. me
2: and Steven both personally, thank you. And then I asked his manager about that song and he's like, Linda's a friend, don't worry, you can use it. You use, use it whatever you want. It's fine. I'm telling you. I was like, you okay. You gotta
1: get clearance from the songwriter, dude.
2: He said it that he said that he asked her
1: it, you gotta get you gotta get a sync license. You can't just do it. You can't do it if you get his permission. It's not going to happen. We're, we got to we got to start covering our ass in this shit because if we're gonna, if we do get picked up by Nike legal will zero right in on that and fucking and it'll be gone. It will it'll be Wouldn't it be
2: on up? him if we were like this guy said no. it was fine? No. no. It's our
1: podcast. You can't
0: just You know what? You know Brad is absolutely right. There was um a uh Bendis was telling me cuz he's like lifelong friends with Joe Walsh. How Joe Walsh was on Howard Stern and they asked him to do like an Eagles tune. And he said no, and then he kind of caved and did it. And afterwards, he went, "Can you can you just take that out because they're going to sue the fuck out of me? Like they're really? they're assholes, like like Henley, like like they're dicks. Like just they're please. not
1: going to sue Joe Walsh.
0: <clears throat> what?
1: No, not Joe Walsh. They can't sue. Who's going to sue
2: Michael DeBars for playing this song?
1: Nobody. He's not going to get sued. He I'm can come on here he and play anything you he wants. It's our podcast. Oh, I see it. what you're We're saying. We're putting it out.
2: I see what you're saying.
1: Yeah. He'll sue us. Gotcha." And if it was just a snippet, like there's actually podcasts, actually you can use up to like 15 seconds or something, even of a, of a mechanical, like you can use the original version of a song because you know, the idea is if you're previewing stuff or like you're talking about an upcoming release, you could actually put in up to like 15 seconds. But
0: TV's TV's 30. W-
1: what? So le- let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. If,
2: if he had written the song, then it would be different. Like if he was like, I want to play this song I
1: wrote. I would still want to have a recording of him saying, "Yeah, it's okay for you to use okay, this on your podcast." I understand. It's the legal issue, dude. I, I know you're not. I know you're not conspiring against him. I'm just it's curious how it works. It's copyright infringement. All right, let's do yeah.
2: it's Chris number two.
1: This is already rolling. Okay, that's it. Okay, that's the intro. That's the best intro ever. Yeah, that was very
2: interesting. I hope you guys learned something. I know I did today on the podcast. Oh, <laughs> well, that's not a good. Answer. All right, do it. Hey, welcome to Going Off Track. I'm here with clapping expert Brad. That's me. And Steven. Hey, Steven.
0: I'm an expert on having the clap.
2: <laughs> Are you really?
0: No, not at all. Have I've you never ever had, had it. I I've, I've I'm uh, just to open it up right here. I'm STD free my entire life. So yeah, there you go. Yeah.
2: Very nice. I remember <laughs> when I was in middle school, for some reason everyone was signing yearbooks avoid the clap, <laughs> and I didn't know what it meant.
1: I don't know what it means. I don't know now? Well, I'm not... You, not do, you, you did live in Williamsburg, which I, is the most venereal disease written. <laughs> I know. My,
2: my, my doctor told me that when I got my physical. He's like, so do you want to get... To-? I was like, I guess. He's like, well, just so you know. It's like the highest concentration ever of STDs. But the clap is... Is that slang for a different one?
0: CLAP is gonorrhea,
2: right? Gonorrhea? Yeah. Okay. Which yeah, so I g-
0: still don't know what that means. Yeah, either. so I
2: guess I don't know what any of this means. But I think it's good not to know what this means oh, at yeah. this point.
0: Yeah, gonorrhea, <laughs> like, I think I think the, the textbook term for gonorrhea, the definition is uh, painful discharge.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> of, of the urinary tract. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure that I told yeah. this story first, but I thought I had it once. I'm sure I told you this. After I, I did a curry challenge and ate the world's hottest curry at Brick Lane Curry House... <laughs> And then woke up the next day and it was, I went with David Lewis and his dad and it burned when I peed so bad that I was like freaking out. I was like, this hurts so bad. And it, And I like, remember my I was with my roommate, Dan at the time, I was like, dude, I think I got something really bad. He's like, what happened? I'm like, dude, it hurts so bad. He's like, didn't you eat the world's hottest curry last night? I was like, uh-huh. So, <laughs> like, do you think it has something to do with that? I was like, oh yeah. And then like a day later, it's fine. So just, just I, words of wisdom. <laughs>
1: I can't. Can I tell this story? I don't know. Yes, I'm gonna yes. tell it. Yes. It, so it's similar to that. I got a uh, about right before I started a tour one time. Actually, I got a letter from a girl. Okay, who told me that I had given her uh, general awards. <laughs> this is really funny, uh, which I was. 100% positive I hadn't, except that then like halfway through the tour, I was positive that I found something on my dick that had to be a genital wart. You got a letter in the mail? Yeah. Well, she didn't live in this country. Okay. She was here visiting, <laughs> having sex with punk rock East Village guys.
0: Beautiful. <laughs> Dear Brad, how's the tour going? I hope it's going well. That was a great show you put on. Um, Funny thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she probably started the letter with, uh, with this. <laughs>
0: Did you get it checked
1: out? Uh, something appeared and I went to, you know, at that point I went to the clinic on 2nd Avenue in the East Village. Mm-hmm. And um, they didn't really know what to make of it, you know. But they did, the, the woman doctor checking me out had no problem calling in another doctor for reference so that I had two female doctors looking at my package. Nice. Turns out it was not genital warts and whatever I had was just, you know, a pimple <laughs> or something on my dick. But uh, yeah. I did speak, I spent about six months just completely like yeah. freaked out.
2: That's scary. I heard, I was listening to Arshavir's podcast and he thought he had some crazy STD and called all these women and told them he had it. And then oh. it turned out he didn't have it and
1: I had to call them all back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> i got some good news.
0: Yeah. <laughs> STD is a super party. Um yeah. I would I would like to to segue into if you're enjoying this this fun riffage, <laughs> uh, our new thing is dollar a podcast. If you like what you're hearing each week, just donate it a dollar. If 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 the people who listen to this podcast on a weekly basis throw in a buck as if you were tipping a barista.
1: Yeah, tip
0: that yeah. would be a really, really awesome thing. Helps keep keeps everything going. It's a good way to break even for a podcast. Joan and Brad do a lot of work. Um I sit around a lot. <laughs> yeah, but we do
2: we do have some some costs now with with having so many episodes on the server. So Yeah, but
0: we have every episode on the server. A lot of podcasts don't do that, and I want to say that was intentional, but for us it's really like, oh shit, we should archive those.
2: Yeah. So get them while you can. But yeah, throw a dollar in and uh um speaking of donations, <laughs>
0: anyways. I'll take it. I'll take it for Chris. <laughs>
2: yeah, uh today on the podcast a band who uh does donations for lots of good causes. Super political band. Um, Chris number two from Anti-Flag is here.
0: And awesome ha- dude. One of the best.
2: Awesome dude. I don't understand how he's like my age and has been in an Anti-Flag for like 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, somehow that happens. I checked. Their first record came out in 96. Um But American Spring is their new record. Just came out. Um, and yeah, Chris is a friend of me and Steven's for a long time. Been trying to get him on the podcast forever. Uh... Great dude, really into hockey. Um, I hung out with them. Occupy Wall Street they played. And if you look up their video of them playing at Occupy Wall Street, I'm standing in the background.
1: Really? You're in the vid?
2: Yep. Yes, It's pretty cool. Nice work. But yeah, whenever there's some kind of political unrest, Anti-Flag is there. And uh, yeah, they benefit a lot of great causes. Um, And I make a lot of puns at their expense, and they're very good sports about it. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, check out their new record, American Spring, and let's get into it with Chris number two from Anti-Flag. You want
3: to do this, man? I'm ready. I don't know how it goes, so I'm ready whenever, whenever, yeah, action. Action. (laughs) Here we are with Chris number two. What's up, dude? Hey, man. How's it going? Very well. Very well. Well, we are playing... um, rock and roll concerts we're doing that thing where a band plays an album and um it's it's really hard yeah don't ever do it (laughs) my advice is
2: not to do it so this is anti-flag yeah not to be confused with white wives your other band who's awesome
3: yeah um white wives i we kind of only do an album show because we only (laughs) have one album (laughs) so yeah so how
2: how have the album anti-flag shows been going
3: very well the People really enjoy it because they you know some of the songs on the record, which record is it just a
2: terror state
1: out.
3: okay um, and it uh, came out in two thousand and three um, and it was kind of like a record about the build up to the wars in Af- Afghanistan and iraq so um it, it felt really kind of apropos for us to go back to that record now as. Drone strikes have increased, and um, ISIS is uh, now a, a term that we use and has creeped its way into the dialogue of people. So, um, so when we were like, "Well, we're in between records," you know, what are we going to do? And um, kind of looking at the state of the politics and trying to get back in touch with the anti-war movement, um, we were like, "Well, let's unearth these songs." And so the shows go really well, and it's really funny because it's it's really two groups of people it's it's people that come up to me after and say i haven't seen your band since 2004 and then it's like really young kids who are like i never thought i'd hear you play those songs so so it's like i can see i have like these conversations with people like i feel like i'm a dad at this show and then like the kids are like who are all these old people at this show you know so it's uh it's an interesting Mix of folks that are coming out to the
2: him. photos you've been posting look crazy. Like I can't believe how like so many people,
3: so many people come, and it's very kind of them. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of things that you can do, and not <laughs> like not get yelled at by jerks like me is <laughs> is high on the list.
2: Yeah. I did just, I guess, I never realized that that was such a seminal anti flag album. I guess, I guess everyone has like a different attachment. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. Um, I think that it's, I don't know. It's not our best-selling record, you know, if that means anything, I don't right. know. Um, but it it uh I think it's the one where we found out like what we wanted to sound like. And so, um that was the the trajectory of the band like unearthing the more pop version of the punk rock song that we were trying to write when we were younger but just not good enough.
2: I found this interview, and I forgot I'm going to send it to you, that I did with you guys for my scene in college. And there's this whole thing about... Remember when the venues would have to be no smoking? Yeah. And yeah. there was this whole thing about it, like you guys were arguing with someone about yeah, it, yeah, and yeah. it was this whole thing, and I was like, first of all, it sounds fucking crazy that like smoking was ever allowed in, <laughs> at a show, and that this was a thing, and it was like such a big
3: deal. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, so, Justin... He, we had this like box truck, you know, like, uh, kind of just like what you would rent from U-Haul or whatever. And once uh,
2: again, 10 years ahead of your time.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Hey man, what are you going (laughs) to (laughs) do? So we had this box truck and we built bunks in it and, um, Justin was sick all the time back then. He had like a lot of food allergies and a lot of like really strange health problems. And, um, I like to believe that uh it, it wasn't all just in his head <laughs> that he was really sick but he was also going to like holistic doctors and stuff and like sometimes we'd be like are you going to someone who can help you or are you just going to someone who's putting rocks on you like what the hell is right, right right but anyways being sick all the time he spent a lot of time in his bunk and uh we did this tour that was a really terrible tour with the Dropkick Murphys in 99 and um, it was like kind of the height of them as a band in the skinhead movement and kind of you know anti-flag was still seen as like uh, a, a radical punk band at the time you know and we would go to places like Texas together and people would be in the audience and look for kids with anti-flag shirts and punch them out and we'd have to stop every two songs and it was like a really it was a violent tour and um, uh, we got into an argument with the Dropkick Murphys about the violence and um, uh, and then you know there was no right or wrong you know like their audience was their audience and they wanted to make sure that they were taken care of and our audience was our audience and we wanted to make sure that they are taken care of and um it came to a head and we just decided it was better for us to go home and so we drove from texas straight home and justin didn't leave his bunk and he got carbon monoxide poisoning from the truck it was leaking into his bunk yeah and he was already very fragile and sick all the time and so we had these tour dates booked and we were like well you're gonna die if if we go into a smoky club and at that time clubs were smoky, like we were playing like the auto bar in Baltimore and stuff like that. And there'd be maybe 150, 200 people. And it seemed like everyone smoked a pack of cigarettes in that room at the time. And so, um, we put up like signs that said like, you know, Justin's really sick. It would be, it would be awesome if you didn't smoke, like really kind of kind stuff. And people were so angry. They were so angry. Yeah. They're still angry. Like, uh, I run across people all the time who are like, I, yeah, the best thing that ever happened though was we were at a shit, we played a show in St. Louis, and this kid put like a thousand cigarettes in his mouth and he lit them all like right in front of the stage, like, fuck you. And like, I just remember being like, oh, this is the battle we're fighting right
2: now. <laughs> Dude, what's funny at this show, I wish I could remember where it was because uh, it's this is all in the zine. I, mm-hmm. I, I was in school in Ithaca, so it might have been like okay. Syracuse mm-hmm. or something. But these kids were passing out flyers being like, "Anti flag aren't real punks." Yeah, like, and it was like some crazy. And it's like <laughs> so weird to think like someone would go through that trouble.
3: That, that it was amazing to me how many times we ran into people that were working so hard to like debunk us you know right 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 right. <laughs> and like that was so I was I was always excited and, and I probably have that flyer like I try to keep anytime yeah. something like that happens I try to like get it and keep it yeah I mean having kids protest our shows and I was just like well at least they've got that side of it down like that's awesome you know? <laughs> like and we go out and you know say what's up to them and you know i think then they realize that we're not just like super angry with them and then right. uh, and yeah
2: well, i just think you guys are in such a it's such a weird crazy position because like i remember even interviewing you guys like not in a confrontational way but like on warp tour and being like do you guys feel weird playing yeah. with all this stuff and it's like i would have never asked that to any other band
3: yeah yeah like, you know what i mean like well here's this is me at 17 years old uh Justin is recovering from the carbon monoxide poisoning so he's not yet with us on Warp Tour and this was 2000 and I went uh so I was 18 years old and um first show um it's in Phoenix or something like that and I have to sing all the songs I'm freaking out like it's bad enough we're on Warp Tour And I go to the side of the stage to watch a band. I I think it was the Luna Chicks. And I turned to my left and Billy Joe Armstrong is standing right next to me. And I'm like, this is the dude, this is the reason I'm here. Like this guy, you know, he wrote the songs that made me find out what punk rock is, you know. And I turned to him and I was like, hi, Billy. My name is Chris. I play an anti-flag. Nice to meet you. And Billy Joe Armstrong turned to me and he said, you're an anti-flag? oh, how are you guys dealing with the politics of your band matching up with being on the Warped Tour? And I was just like, first off, A, you know enough about us to know that it's fucking weird that we're on (laughs) Warped Tour. And B, like... Holy shit, I have to answer this question again.
2: <laughs> Dude, that's incredible. Were you like, how do you feel not to be on lookout anymore? Exactly. <laughs> Did you like, are you kidding me?
3: <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. So I gave him probably the same answer I gave you. And then I ran and called home and I was like, you'll never guess what happened. <laughs> that is so funny. It was it was incredible. It was incredible.
2: Well that's also what I don't understand about anti flag is like you guys have been a band for so long but you're still like so young. Like I don't like they're like like I've been in that fight for 20 years. I'm like did you start playing with them when you were like 10?
3: <laughs> I've been in the band since the end of 98 and of I was 16, 17 whenever I had joined. Okay. And yeah. they had been a band for a little while before yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The band formed in 93. Okay. And the first record came out in 96. Uh, and that's die for the government. And the second record is the first record I played on. That's a new kind of army, and that came out in '99. That's so wild. Yeah, and I know. It's like I was a child. Yeah. Um. And like I had this whole thing where I was still in high school, and my mom would have killed me had I not gotten a diploma, so I couldn't drop out. And I was like a major fuck up kid. So I went into my guidance counselor, and I was like, I got this opportunity to join this band. They're going to tour the country. I really want to do it. What can I do? And they got together with everybody and stopped all my classes mid-semester. And so I had to have like a 3.75 grade point average uh, in the first semester or first like half of the year to to allow this to happen. And I never tried at school in my entire life. And so that was really difficult to do. <laughs> sure. And I did it and they stopped all my classes and um, I like... You have to have four complete years of history, and um, uh, so I would go in for that class only when I was in town. And like about halfway through, like teachers were just like, "What are you still doing here? Just just go." And I was like, "Okay, cool." And so I graduated, I got my diploma, but I wasn't there for it. And that was like the first U.S. tour I did, and that was the summer of '99.
2: So you're you're from Pittsburgh originally? From
3: Pittsburgh originally. Okay. Yeah.
2: And are you still based out of there? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah.
3: It's it's the coolest town, um, and I feel like part of the reason why we've been able to be a band this long and go through the ups and downs of um, music as an industry and as a commodity uh, is because we live in Pittsburgh, and the cost of living is very right. low, and um, we're easily accessible to New York, easily accessible to um, D.C. and other places where we can, you know, kind of build up. Uh, uh, a real relationship with, with, with people and, and have like a long lasting uh, community of places to play but also not have the expenditures of living in like New York. Or yeah something.
2: it's the same like when I was working at AP when I was an editor there it was the same thing people were like I can't believe you guys are in Cleveland yeah. It's like yeah it's great it's, it's my great. rent's 400 bucks a month exactly
3: like yeah. I'm never here yeah yeah and, and that's the thing if you want to go anywhere you can get there and if you um, you know punk money goes far and in the Rust Belt, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, that
2: is true. Um, what was I going to say? Um, I had something, like, really wanted to ask you. Yeah. Uh-oh.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: nothing Nothing controversial.
3: Oh, okay, good, yeah, good, good, good.
2: Um, so what? when did sort of the White Wives stuff start? Was that... Because I always think it's interesting when, like, a side project starts that has, like, members of your regular band in it, sort of. Yeah. So it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy because... Because I saw you guys at like the world's hottest show here like five or six years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: that was, that's funny. Yeah, we started in 2011. That's what I want to say. No, maybe 2010. 2010. Okay, and um, uh, it was kind of out of like necessity. Like, Anti like had just gone through the major label thing. I was questioning my abilities as a songwriter and whether or not there was ever like a chance to do more. And it's really interesting because I had played in another band like right when I was joining Antiflag and I kept that band going. It was called Whatever It Takes and it was like shitty like 2000 era band so we sound like saves a day and right. sounded like you know what I mean. Like, like that's what you did you know and uh that was great and i think that had i not done that like that got me up to speed with the rest of the guys in the band like i was always i was playing a show every day um, when anti like, wasn't on tour i was doing stuff with whatever it takes and that really helped me to um uh you know get some of those early miles under the belt of like growing a thing from the ground up that I didn't get that opportunity to do by joining anti so I kind of felt it was time to do that again with white wives and um Roger who lived in Brooklyn at the time but we had started it he was sending me songs and I recorded a like a solo record for him and um I just loved him so much and loved his song so much that I was like can we play music together like please and um and so we did it and we jammed and we had one practice uh and it went really well and like we wrote our first song together and then Chris Head who plays at Flag, he wrote me and he he was like he was kind of angry at me cause like we had talked about doing another band together and like a more like um like a band with a broader sonic landscape and um you know he's so quiet and even when we're on anti tours i don't know if he's having a good time <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> so i didn't suspect he wanted to be in this band that was going to sleep on people's floors and like play shows to five people but like he did and whenever i don't even know if it's a thing where he really wanted to he just felt slighted that he didn't get the, the call right, 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 so then right. he's like yeah i'm gonna prove to you that i'm in you know yeah. so so he's been there ever since so um and and he adds a lot and he's like you know probably like the biggest pixies fan i know and um uh, you know he's he actually is far more into like the indie side of music than i even you know and so he brings in a lot of ideas to white wives that i didn't know about i just wanted uh i just wanted to stomp on my collection of stomp boxes and make uh make noise and not uh, have to worry about um the preconceived notions of what a band is supposed to sound like or not supposed to sound like like i have to do an anti-fi
2: right and i think like maybe people don't know you and chris like they like Oh, they're another band, like they probably just listen to g b h or like exploited, yeah, like, yeah,, so it's like interesting that it is so kind of on the other side of the spectrum, yeah, yeah. that seven inch is so great too oh i i that's I listen to that song so much it's
3: i I think those are our best songs, yeah, I do yeah, too, yeah, so that was cool to kind of write good ones and and um um uh, and and that happens with bands, and that's the point of it is like um you know this very well, like you have an idea in your head of what you want to sound like and what you want to be. But until you go out and play together and learn how to do that, you really can't, um, you really can't get to that. You know, there's, there, there's like, it's very rare that you just get in the room and write the record that encompasses what you want to be, you know, until you fall down, until you go through all those motions to figure it out. Um, uh, you're going to be chasing something. Um, and I, I think that uh, I think that that's why, you, like, after us doing a tour and doing the traveling and playing together and learning more about each other, we were able to write better songs that way. And that's the advice I like. People come up to me all the time and they're like, "Oh, I'm in a band. What should I do?" And I'm like, "Save your money. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't make a record. Who yeah. cares? Go and play for two years and then make a record. Like, it's. I know it's harder to get shows without a demo or whatever, but." It, it'll be so much better for you to figure out what you want to be first and then then make the record.
2: Definitely. And I feel like you've been around for so many weird like milestones in my life. Like Antiflug played the first United Nations show. Yep. Then I went with you guys to like Occupy, yep. Zicotti yeah, yeah, Park. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, I yeah. feel like it's just like you guys are always pop
3: up in something kind of interesting. I I'm, without being weird, like I'm a big fan of you. Uh, yeah and so i like i really uh, have been excited to see um your trajectory trajectory be what it is and um i also i was all i've always been a big fan of you but i i the alternative press thing like Never worked for us, yeah. And um, we have we have a new record coming out, and, and I'm not going to talk shit. And I hope that they'll write about it. <laughs> and I hope like all that stuff is you know like I'm I still think that a lot of the people that are there, um, will make sure this is going. Yeah, cool. Um, I I still think that a lot of people that are there are really awesome. Um, but they, you know, we're older gentlemen in a political punk rock band. We're not the target demographic of that magazine and I understand that. So when you were there I, I like I felt like it was just kinda like, oh, keep keep you know, way to get saves a day on the cover. Like, right, right, right. <laughs> like, totally. Like totally. there was always like little victories for it, you yeah. know? Um but so now like you know, I, I feel like uh, I can be a little bit more involved in your life, I could, and I I'm gonna try to be whenever I can. <laughs> yeah, no,
2: you're 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 around in yeah. my life a lot. Good. I good. feel like I'm glad to hear you say that because I feel like I'm always like punishing you with like the worst puns.
3: I love it. That's the <laughs> uh, I love it. I'm 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 a fan of the pun. Okay. Yeah. I'm a fan. Sometimes
2: of it's like my brain. It's like always like five percent. Like what rhymes with this? Like what rhymes? <laughs> like I feel like if I could just harness that. There that was a really
3: good die for the government one i can't remember what it was well
2: i remember it okay because i feel like i said it to you like four times <laughs> yeah i saw you where were we? i think we we're hot water played 930 club okay and it, maybe you got up and sang with them yeah 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 and i was up there i think with lucas we were rehearsing or something yeah. and you guys had just put out that bacon shape seven yeah, inch yeah, yeah. and i was like oh does this have uh, fry for your government on it <laughs> <laughs> it's still
3: good yeah well i'm glad you like because it, i felt like good. i was
2: like is this so annoying fry for your government. that's yeah. good yeah thank you yeah. Mm-hmm. i was pretty proud of mm-hmm. it that's really great i also don't know if you know this but um when you guys put out underground network and had that um that woody guthrie mm-hmm. thing in it i was interviewing Nora guthrie and i
3: told her about it and i sent her the artwork so do you know that i know that and she told me about that and you're Go fast forward to the Terror State, which is the record that we're playing the album's on. One of the songs on it is called Post War Breakout, which is Woody Guthrie lyrics. And we got to go to the Guthrie archive no and way. go through it and pick one of his unreleased songs because of you showing Nora that
2: that's crazy i didn't know that that's awesome though. one
3: of the reasons why i'm a big fan of yours <laughs>
2: <laughs> well i thought it was so cool so i was talking to her i think about like the mermaid avenue stuff mm-hmm. or something and i was like you know there's a punk band that's like really into you and she's like no and i sent her and she was like so stoked about yeah. it
3: yeah yeah it was, she wrote us and she was like i did i did an interview with jonah and and he told me he told me about it and and i was like no way and <laughs> Uh, She's like, yeah, would you like to come up? And essentially we did the same thing that Billy Bragg and Wilco did. And we got to go through and wear really cool white gloves. And they had just put in like a new computer system. So you were able to search for keywords. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, we were able to like... Like it it was a, it was an incredible experience that I'll never forget doing that and that's all because of you think about, think wow. about that buddy so he just has just like pages and pages oh, yeah. and pages because of you just couldn't lyrics? record yeah you wow. couldn't record and the the crazy part about it is um he you can see when he gets sick because some of the songs are handwritten and then halfway through they're typed and they brought in a typewriter and he was like, he was writing songs until the day he died and um the other thing is as he gets older he gets a bit more perverted so like i don't know if you were talking like on the mermaid avenue thing there's that song uh ingrid bergman right and uh billy bragg has the great story talking about how it's like definitely sexual innuendo for what he him lusting over ingrid bergman and uh uh it's true because like there's like metaphors like girl I want to roll around in your grassy knoll and stuff like that and you're like oh man like yeah Woody is going for it here so (laughs) um it's it was a really cool curtain pull back for us to see and um it was also a testament of the like you should just write write all the time it doesn't matter what it is and just put it down because at some point it might make sense to somebody somewhere and um And, you know, we all, not to get like hippie bullshit on you, but like all of us that make music do so, uh, hoping that it will last longer than we do. Right. And, um, clearly the stuff that Woody Guthrie did is that.
2: Yeah. I mean, how do you sort of like, obviously we're doing this in like a nice studio. Mm -hmm. Like I love doing the podcast. I'm so glad you could come, but like, how do you sort of reconcile kind of like, being a punk was sort of like being an adult. Cause I feel like, especially now, like it's, I know it's kind of open-ended, but I feel like I sometimes struggle with like, if like, you know, people want to give you money and it's like, just cause it, I feel like I've learned that just cause people have money doesn't mean they're necessarily evil. Yep. And that was, I feel like a really hard thing for me to kind of learn. I can only imagine kind of being in your position and kind of being under the microscope a little more, how yeah. that would be.
3: Well, we, we come out of it. We, We come out of like a pretty interesting town and I think the politics of Pittsburgh really lend itself to shaping and defining the politics of the band. So a lot of the time what we found is um, if you're doing kind things, if you are just as an individual thinking about more than just yourself, you're already so far leaps and bounds ahead 90% of the population and that should be rewarded and applauded. And, um, going back to the warp tour and, you know, probably my stock answer from 99 was, um, someone's going to take that warp tour offer. Someone's going to go and do that. It may as well be us because we believe in what we're saying and we believe in what we're doing. And, um, I don't necessarily think it's more or less important than anyone else's beliefs or statements, but I, I, you know, I want to be goddamn sure that somebody is saying um, things to young people that, such as, you know, question why you would join the military, question the way you spend your dollar. We don't have a lot of power as individuals in this world right now, and where we spend our dollar is probably the, the most powerful thing we can do. So signing to Sony was the same thing. I never thought for a minute we would be on the radio or be a bigger band or be any of those things. It's not about signing to a label to get your message spread. I think that that's a a real naive um, answer to that. You know, there's no guarantee that just because you're on a bigger label, things are going to be better for you. Things can uh, undoubtedly be worse. Right. Um, So... You could be, for every, you know, the line was, for every Green Day, there's a thousand jawbreakers. Right, <laughs> right, right. You know, so uh, if you go and you say, well, Sony's going to spend this money on the next Kelly Clarkson record, <laughs> might as well be our fucking record. You totally. Know? Um, and the, those are like, you know, us looking at it and saying like, well, with the Sony money, we now have a, a person that we're able to hire to run our record label. We have a person that runs the day-to-day for anti-flag in an office. We took Sony money we built a studio. We took Sony money and we gave it to an independent DIY venue in Pittsburgh. We took Sony money and we gave it to uh, the Thomas Merton Center, which is um, uh, a uh, human rights organization in Pittsburgh. We took Sony money and started a nonprofit organization, um Combating a piece of legislation in the No Child Left Behind Act that gave students uh, information to military recruiters. It was called Military Free Zone. It was great until we got enough signatures. We were able to get that piece re- repealed. You know, like these are things that wouldn't have happened and. I can honestly tell you that Fat Mike wasn't going to write a check big enough to do those things right. because Fat Mike was saying, well, those things don't sell records. We would go into Sony and fucking lie through our teeth and say things like, oh, we know our audience. They, they, they're they really going to be into this uh, uh, nonprofit organization. We just need 10 grand to hire this a friend of ours, his name was Scott Goodstein, who now works... On Obama campaigns, you know, we were able to hire him in 2006 with Sony money. That, you know, unless we lied to them and told them it was about, you know, selling records. Like Fat Mike knows that that's not the real case, but right, those fools were so ha- dead set on making us happy and keeping us happy, even you know the bidding war that surrounded our band and Rick Rubin wanting to sign us and all this crazy shit that happened right then um RCA was so afraid of upsetting us they just gave us everything we asked for and um you're able to hire Mike Ski I mean yeah yeah exactly yeah well I mean yeah, that was the thing we not only hired Ski we flew him to LA we yeah. like you know he tells a great version of that story which I love and um but it's just having the ability to Create an economy around your band or around your art that you know is one that's being handled with far more care than many other uh, economies around. Um, that, to me, is is about just what you're saying. Like growing up and looking at punk rock as more than just a, a fuck you. It certainly is a fuck you. It certainly is um, uh, a challenge to the, to the status quo but the way you're going to challenge the status quo is keeping art alive and um you know uh, i think that uh, that's one of the going back to living in pittsburgh and it's one of the opportunities we're afforded because we haven't priced art out of our scene and our world um i see that happening a lot like here in yeah. new york where true artists can't afford to live here anymore and true artists can't afford to live in la and It's it's a lot harder to make your way. Um and that's, you know, neither here nor there. You just you see them move into New Orleans, you see them move into Nashville, Pittsburgh is a town that a lot of people are moving to. And um, you know, you're not gonna stop it. Uh it's just uh it, you know, takes some adapting, it takes some creativity. It's just as interesting too,
2: because I feel like punk rock for so many people. Like probably known in this room, but it is, it's such a transient thing for a lot of people. It's something that's like, oh, I was into this when I was in high school. Yeah. And then I kind of
3: like got serious. It's an American. That's an American view. Really? Yeah. And and um, that was one of the, like the big eye openers for us. Like it, it wasn't until 2002 or three that we went to Europe. Uh, we had no idea. <laughs> like, like we were so de- like dead set on touring america focusing on the issues of america um you know and if you listen to the first record we were dead set on pittsburgh you know like fuck police brutality is a direct uh that's a track on the first record that's like a direct knee-jerk reaction to the fact that pittsburgh had the highest police brutality rate in the country we didn't know anything that was passed in front of our face then people started listening to the record around the country we were able to tour then we were like, "Oh, this is happening in California. this is happening in Canada. you know these are North America became the face of the band, and you watch that all the way up to underground network and it wasn 't until we went to Europe and we realized there's a whole nother world you know literally there's a whole world of uh of people that feel the same way that we do. Um, the difference is, I believe that art is um not as transient uh in europe as it is in the states and you know when we went there and there was 40 year old guys with mohawks i was like whoa you didn't like trade that in for (laughs) like a a college loan oh that's right you don't have those you know what i mean right yeah that's interesting it's it's a i think it's i think it has a lot to do with uh universal healthcare, a lot to do with universal education that people can still be um into um non-traditional art when they're older
2: yeah that makes sense i mean how do you decide to sort of like i think you guys are so kind of educated and i feel like yeah thank you (laughs) (laughs) but i also feel like you have so much like i feel like when when i look at what's going on like i'm not very up on like world events because it's like like we were on tour and we were supposed to play st louis like the day after the ferguson stuff happened and we canceled the show for a lot of reasons but it's like that stuff happens and then Eric Gardner, then like ISIS chopping on people's heads. And it's like, I feel like I only have like so much empathy or something yeah. where like I can only research this stuff so much or before yeah. I'm just like sitting there bummed out yeah. or something. Well,
3: that's an opportunity missed uh, to say that the United Nations was in Ferguson. I mean, that's so cool. (laughs) Well, (laughs) there's a statement in there somewhere. There is, Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was weird because like we were like getting all this news and we didn't know what was happening, and then we also felt like I mean, ultimately the promoters were were like, you can do whatever you want. We didn't want to put like our fans in danger, like have them drive through that. And it was also like we felt kind of weird about being like the like. For better or worse, like the white guys and like this nichey punk band, just like showing up pretending oh, oh, like nothing's oh, oh. happening. We
3: we have battled with that, um, the entire time of of you know uh, coming from a place of privilege and making and making a statement on um uh, something that has really brought the idea of privilege and really brought the idea of um how deep the racism still runs in our country to the forefront of uh, public dialogue. So, yeah, that's, that's not something I, um, you know, I understand completely. We, we were a band on, on September 11th, <laughs> yeah. so we had a tour booked and it had the entire thing, um, be, you know, deleted by promoters across the country, um, you know, hot topic, which was the thing that sold you know, anti bike merchandise at the time, sent a package back to the office. Everything that they had in their warehouse. Um, Are you serious? Mm-hmm. There was a list of bands banned from the radio, and we were on it, and we thought it was really funny because we had never been played on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it's definitely it's definitely scary when. Um, it feels as if you're on the outside and you want to make a statement, but you don't know where to push and where and, and when it's appropriate to make that statement. Um, but we also get, and I think that you get this too. And, 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 you know, um, whether or not everyone in the band is, um, as affluent in the politics of it, you know, United Nations is, is a political band. Right. And, um, it's very easy to sit on a computer and to listen to Democracy Now! every day and feel like, we are fucked. And then we get to go to Asbury Park and play to 300 people that lose their minds and have a great time. And you're like, well, if these kids are the ones that are going to be alive in 10 years, 15 years, then we're not so fucked. And that's the yin and the yang of what we get to do in this band is... um, we get to have these kind of rallies and celebrations almost every night that um, uh, allow us to feel as if we're not alone and um, the politics don't become as heavy. Um, and I, like, again, that's like, I don't want to sound like a fucking hippie. You know? Right, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, it is true. It, it really is, like, especially now, like, this last week I've been doing, uh, Justin and I have been doing the liner notes for the new record, and when you go into what each song is about and you're like even though you didn't realize when you were writing it it's it's about more than what you maybe thought and then you're down in this rabbit hole of reading the guantanamo diary and going like oh man like like this is the thing that the president that i went and watched the inauguration of the first one in the last you know uh, 10 years that I wasn't there protesting and I went and watched the inauguration and I cried and I was moved and I felt as if we were on this new righteous path and he signs an executive order to clo- close Guantanamo Bay and here we are six years into his presidency and it's still open and we're just getting this book that was written by a detainee and it's, it's horrific and you know you've got a song on the record like that and you're you're like i said you're down in the rabbit hole of of you know what else is there like where where how do i how do i raise my hand any higher and say like i don't this isn't done in my name i don't believe in this you know right Um, and
2: that's i feel like it's gone so far that way like i understand like you know racial and gender like i understand these things are complex and like understand like white males like we're super privileged totally get that but i feel like there is this mentality of like like this like stay in your lane like you can't even if you're like supporting people i feel like you don't like this isn't for you Mm -hmm. and it's sort of weird because i feel like it's like marginalized like i feel like it's kind of this almost like this weird like the same mentality in some way like and it's you know and i understand like if you go to a protest and like there's some college kids w- white kids like are like fucking with the police and it's like you guys don't get it you're ruining this for everyone yeah, like of yeah. course like that's not cool but i also feel like just because you're born this way i feel like
3: doesn't mean like you can't be supportive and yeah sort of i feel like it's well, you don't
2: want to offend anyone either or that
3: like, was one of the reasons why i loved the occupy movement yeah is that that it just all happened it, and so you'd walk around and you know the Israel-Palestine issue was right there and you'd walk around and there was an Egyptian issue right there and there was, you know, uh, and, and that to me felt like as distracted as it was, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a movement being hijacked. Right. Um, and that, that to your point, I could, you know, I feel as if in the like 2003 and four anti-war movements... You'd be going, and you'd feel as if, okay, we're all here to say no to war, and then boom, the movement's hijacked by something else and someone else's issue, and you're like, well, I agree with this, but I don't know if I agree with that, and I'm not educated enough to say I agree with that, and um, and that puts you in a predicament of like, like compartmentalizing your political views, you right. know? When the political view we're looking for is humanity, you know, and like, it's fucking Bill and Ted. Be excellent to each other. Right, right, totally. <laughs> like, totally. that's the whole premise of that movie, is with their rock, they <laughs> told people to be excellent to each other and save the planet. You know, like, that's the world I want to live in. Wild Stallions. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, somewhere, uh, somewhere in there, are we still going? Yeah. Cool. Um, what time is it? 2.30. okay, cool. I got a sound check at some point, okay, yeah cool uh, where are you guys at Gramercy Gramercy we okay. got um Chris head actually's got a car he's driving us around okay, cool yeah,
2: well, just let me know when you have to
3: go probably five ten minutes okay, cool oh go ahead,
1: <laughs> Bill dead that's out.
3: <laughs> 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 yeah i mean i i I hope that um I hope that people see good intention where it lies and um that's my belief with uh, you know issues of uh, you know transgender that's my belief with issues of race that's my belief with um uh you know anything that as a white male that I don't necessarily fit in the lane of like you're saying, um, that they'll see that the empathy and intention is real, and uh, and hope, in uh, hope that I can you know lend a voice of support because it, it it the truth is that it's not it's not my battle, and if I'm not wanted in that battle, I I understand. Right. You know?
2: What is, and then just because you would not know more way more about the stuff, like as far as Obama goes, sort of what you were saying about Guantanamo and that stuff. Do you think? It's like he said some of that stuff to get elected or do you think – because in some ways it seems to me like you just can't do anything as president. Like yeah. you try to do something and they like, oh, the Republicans say no and then yeah, you're yeah. sort of like,
3: well, I guess. It's remarkable because I feel as if where the opportunity with Obama was missed – and again, this is hindsight being 2020, but he could have done anything. People were applauding him shutting down Guantanamo Bay. They were applauding the ending of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And they were applauding a health care plan in his first few months. Had he had taken a card from the Bush administration and just said, like, it's done. We do. We have it today. Like, and just thrown it at the people and not put it up for debate and not tried to, quote unquote, reach across the aisle and deal with the Republicans. Um, I feel like he could have gotten far more done in the immediate year, two years after his presidency. It's the fact that he tried to do so much, tried to be so amicable with with people that don't give a fuck about anything other than the corporations that are funding them, and uh, i'm I'm angry at Barack Obama as a president the same way I was angry at george w. Bush like this is a person who's allowing a corporate overthrow of American policies and american um uh, democracy, and so that to me is 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 almost more frustrating because we knew it was going to come from George W. Bush. Everyone knew a mile ahead that he was uh, a crony for uh, the status quo. And so the fact that Barack Obama had fooled us into believing that he was much more of a man of the people than uh, a man of the corporation and then come into power and, you know, Keystone Pipelines happening – you know drone strikes more than ever um, more than any other president, and this is the anti war president you know so that that to me is like the really frustrating thing about it is that uh I do believe I do believe him a lot when I see him speak, and he moves me as an individual and um I've, I've wanted so badly um things to be better than they have been um, and that 's the that's also a frustrating thing about it is like people feel as if you can't be angry with Barack Obama because of how he got elected and because of who he is as an individual. Um, but I, I think that we should be allowed to be angry at whoever's doing wrong uh, by the country. And that goes for um, a president. That goes for, you know, a pope. That goes for prime ministers in Canada and whatnot, you know, whoever is uh, uh, an elected official or whoever is a person in power. And if they're um, using that power not to benefit humanity, they need to be challenged. It's pretty simple.
2: I mean, do you think things are more partisan now than they kind of have ever been? Or do you think it's always been that way?
3: No, I think it's, I mean, I think if you look backward to Clinton, this was a very similar strategy. It seems that it seems like the biggest thing, the biggest difference between, uh, a Democrat, uh, uh, presidency and a Republican presidency is secrecy. It's like so many things are just done in secret under a Democrat, uh, 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 political regime. They, they, they tend to, try to try to you know uh hide things in bills they tend to try to um not have as lengthy of a discussion on what they actually want to pass through and they you know use more distraction or use more um uh, more of media blinder, whereas the Republicans are just kind of like "fuck you." This is what we did today. It's right here, and so I almost like that better because I know what we're angry about. You know, um, it, it's uh, it's definitely uh, a transparency issue between the two. And you know, going back to Warp Tour, um, being on Warp Tour and hearing uh, Dennis at the time with International Noise Conspiracy talk about. Um, American politics and you know, his his disgust with those of us that were in the punk voter movement, and he was just like man, you're just you're just on a treadmill you know, like, nothing's gonna change if you're voting Democrat or Republican and at the time, I was like, man I wanted Dennis to like me <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. I'm
3: sorry that I'm sorry that I'm working so hard to get Bush out of office right now, but, cause I, I wanna be on his team, you know, but um on, on many levels, he's correct. Like, like, we're just playing ping pong and it's just going back and forth. And until something happens to change us uh, uh, from this trajectory, I don't know what it, you know, I don't know what that is. I don't really have that solution other than be more involved in your local community, be more involved in where you spend your dollar in your local community and try to, you know, grassroots a movement of humanity versus hoping that a president is going to come down from heaven above and make everything better.
1: That was amazing, guys. Am I right? Uh, truly, truly, great job. I'm sorry that I couldn't be there. I'm sorry you uh, couldn't be I,
0: there. I as well. It just happens to be. I remember going to see. Well, seeing one of the many times I've seen Anti Flag, they actually played years ago on Fuse for us. They came in and played live. Really? Yeah, they were phenomenal. They um, the 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 bass tech that he had would like he would check the bass by playing the opening bass notes to "Want" by Jawbreaker. And I remember being at the Warp Tour and hearing the sound check and just stopping in my tracks going, Wait, is someone covering what? And I asked uh, number two about it. And he said, Yeah, I call that unlocking my bass. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's good.
0: Just gets it ready to go.
2: That is pretty good. Yeah. Um, I interviewed them for my fanzine. I think we talked about it when I was in college. And uh, people were passing out flyers. That's, we talked about them almost positive. Yeah, people were passing out flyers like Anti Flag isn't a real punk band. Like, people, I feel like they're all, people are always fucking with them, like, and they're always, like, kind of taking the high road on stuff. Yeah. They, I feel like people are always kind of scrutinizing, when you're, when you're, like, a band like them or Against Me or something, I feel like people, like, the punks or whatever, are always scrutinizing everything you do from, like, their parents' basement.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, fuck the punks. <laughs>
2: you hear that? Fuck you, punks.
0: You hear yeah, that? seriously. Uh, you want to be punk, wear a fucking suit.
2: It's true. And speaking of punk, uh, this month a cover story—I wrote the cover story on Alternative Press on Fallout Boy, punk oh, yeah. band. Um, mm. I just got it, copies of it yesterday. Came out pretty cool. Photos by my friend Jonathan Weiner, awesome photographer. Wow! Nice. And uh, so check that out. Um, Stephen, do you have anything going on?
0: I've got the a couple more episodes of Sprint Fan Connection on Yahoo. I was just in—I just talked to Walk the Moon out in Tucson, Arizona. That should be, if it's not up now, it it should be up very soon. And check out their fans talking to them. Delightful bunch of gentlemen from Cincinnati. Yay. And what about you, Brad? Just
1: Just doing the do here, man. Trying to keep it real. Converse rubber
2: tracks. Building the empire. Taking over.
0: Yeah, taking over the world. It's true. There'll be one in every city and no marketing to talk about it.
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, but you can visit us online going off track. We're on Twitter. As we said earlier, if you want to donate a dollar, that would help us pay for our server costs. Um, And yeah, I think that's it. We'll be back next week. Thanks for tuning in.